Hello and welcome to Writing About Dragons and Shit, a podcast where two authors and a writer get together to talk about the ways that they tell stories. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, writer of Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms and podcast host of Too Many Podcasts. And with me each week are two amazing people who are. I'm Erin M. Evans. I write fantasy novels. I'm best known for Empire of Exiles and the Brimstone Angel- Angels Saga. It is I, B. Dave Walters. I say words about things. I am these two wonderful human beings, literally their biggest fan. Um... <laughs> And I do a little bit of the writing in in the wording. And uh, hey, I don't even know if I told you guys, I got nominated for best supporting actor for the short film I was in, supporting it LA. So, so Sunday, awesome. Yeah, Sunday, gonna go, gonna go to the to the ceremony. We'll see. It is an honor to be nominated. Yeah, that's freaking cool. Do you need us to take anybody out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I knew how to find those motherfuckers, you know. take out the other person because they could get things posthumously i would just oh, like you know fair. throw a little tail at the judge committee you know <laughs> like, it's the way i, I do things seem, seem like a seem like a more effective strategy right yeah. exactly you know just like yeah. try to just drop my pen i keep dropping it right in front of the judge's table it's just so slippery so let me bend over and pick it up slowly. <laughs> in. yeah uh, well, I don't know what better image to start this episode off with. None. Uh, <laughs> hey, listeners, uh, we're we're doing more listener questions because we said that's what we're going to do for a bit, and that's what we're doing. As long as Hooray. you keep sending them in, we're going to do these episodes. Keep sending them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Aaron has uh, our questions for the night. Uh, so you want yep. just we want to just yeah. dive into those. Everybody ready? Yeah, my body's ready. All right. All right. First one. Hi, all. Your podcast is one of my favorite writing podcasts. It seems many people get bored after a while and have nothing to talk about, but you guys always have great energy. I'm a big writer of fantasy and have finished several books in the genre, but my biggest weakness is coming up with swear words for my worlds. I've listened to podcast episodes on the subject, but they are definitely my biggest weakness. Do you have any suggestions or advice? Thanks for the help, Dusty. Frack, yes. <laughs> this is a, a Goriam good question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's contextual. It's the Smurf language, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. as, as, as long as you stick with there, there's no logic to it. <laughs> you know? I mean, Frack and Goriam do rhyme. I th- I think, oh, don't, ooh, don't misquote me on this, because I very much could be wrong, because I'm not a Firefly super fan, but I think Goriam actually does translate to a curse word in Chinese. Probably does. Oh, yeah, no, I yeah. think you're right. I think it yeah. is. I think it is Chinese. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But uh, it it's like been, been so Old long. West goddamn. Yeah. Well, it is an but, Old West but goddamn. Yeah, but yeah, it works that way. But I, I think there is, I think. You're right, you're right. That is not a made-up word. That is, yeah. I believe you are Which correct. That has a. I, I think also points at. One thing that's really helpful, which is like there's a, a mouthfeel to swear words, yes. yeah, and and kind of matching that mouthfeel uh, helps people remember that's a swear word and feel like it's a swear word. Um, yeah, so that's one yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I'm also a little team say fuck. Yeah, uh, it depends. I, obviously, I'm gonna be honest. One of but... the most refreshing things of reading Empire of Exiles was people just dropping an f bomb, <laughs> just anywhere they fucking please, and I was like, yes, yes, they're, this is what I need. They're like young academics cooped up in a know, in so a library. Good. I'm like everybody I know like that swears like a sailor. Um, yeah, I mean, I I will say I, for 
for all the time I worked to Brimstone Angels, there were limitations, right? Yeah. I was allowed to say shit occasionally, but that was as hard as it could go. Yeah. And then there were established made up swear words. And so I could use those. Um, and a lot of it, you can get a lot of, of, of texture and um, uh, viscerality out of like the words you choose. And it doesn't just have to be that one made up word. Yeah. Um, if you're having trouble finding made up words that stand in for the swear words and for whatever reason, you're not going to use real swear words. Some of it can be about the way that you put them together. I found my rule of thumb with um, Brimstone Angels was that if I had to use a made up word, if I could fit it in a phrase that was made it clear, like Tloon is a Forgotten Realms swear word that basically means fuck, uh, but it doesn't sound like fuck. Mm-hmm. it's kind of i don't know it's kind of hard to say it's a little soft but if you say tloon and buggering char you got an idea that, <laughs> you know, you're swearing by the goddess of loss and you're talking about her performing a sex act on you you kind of get the idea like okay that's where we're going with that um and so that would be my other suggestion if you want to have made up swear words and they aren't feeling right put them in a really filthy sentence I like and that, that helps yeah. <clears throat> I, also, I do. Uh, oh, go sorry, no, go ahead. No, please. Uh, uh, I do. I do like uh, a couple of books that have gotten away with just using normal words uh, as like their swears. Like the two that's uh, come to mind are uh, uh, Stormlight Archives. Their swear is storming because storms are this big devastating thing that constantly happen, and so they storm that. And like at first, I was like, "Oh, that's silly." And then by like the end of the first book, like I was walking around the re- the restaurant I was working, I was like, "These storming plates." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the other one is uh, uh, Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. He says stars and stones. And I always liked that yeah. one just for it, it was a fun little thing to say. Um, and so I, I, the paladin dude would give him a hard time for his oh, yeah. language. I yeah, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the, I, I do think that if you can find something that is like appropriate for the, the area and stuff like that, that is a, another easy little cheat code for a swear. Because it just means something different mm-hmm. there. I just Googled old English swear words and oh came up with just a treasure trove of things that I, I'm actually <laughs> not going to butcher the pronunciation of, dear friends. But uh, yeah, you, you got options. Just make it make it um, consistent. And if you're not really sure, especially if you're going to use something that's like completely mundane, like dandelion or something, the first mm-hmm. time someone says it, someone else needs to be like language. Like, whoa, you know, <laughs> yeah. hey, come on. Like, whoa, what is that? I think mm-hmm. that Trevor's point about storming. Make, I think, and we have an episode. If you haven't yes. listened to it already, we do have an episode with about cursing with Shauna Germain. That's very fun. That was a great episode to do. Mm-hmm. But that's another point: is that you that you can often sort of trace what is taboo and what is sacred based on the words that people choose as swear words culturally, right? And so, you know, there is something sort of. I feel like storms kind of straddle the line there right that in some ways they are power beyond humanity and they also fuck everything up right um there's a great book called i think that book is called holy shit it's a history of swearing and in that <laughs> the the author sort of posits that you're swinging between two poles one is this sort of the sacred you're swearing by things like god's wounds and 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 it's really filthy to say that um whereas if you talk about fucking and shitting that's just everyday stuff and then on the other side you're talking about the profane and the common and then then talking about shitting and fucking is is 
incredibly rude and disgusting whereas saying something like god's wounds is quaint um and it's a really interesting read and there's a lot of roman swear words in that and that's handy what what was the name of that one again i think it's called holy shit holy shit uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 because it's holy and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got there, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I totally recommend uh, checking out the episode we did with uh, Shauna about swearing because we talked about it for a whole hour. So yeah, yeah. All right, next one. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so as a heads up, this one uh, <laughs> they had a preamble that they said we could cut, uh, and so this is the this is the question for it. Okay. Is theme supposed to be like high school English class where Frankenstein is a story about consequences because look at what happens when Victor the not doctor is a crappy parent? Or is it like this is a found family because we can choose who is important to us? Is a motif that keeps is it a motif that keeps showing up? Like this story is obviously about motherhood because look at how many mothers there are in this thing. Because everything I research seems to say that it's some intangible like love, guilt, or revenge. I guess I just don't understand how such a broad concept is supposed to be helpful. Regardless, I hope this email finds you all well. I hope you can excuse my tiny pile of brain cells. <laughs> Sincerely, <laughs> Susie. So y'all know that I'm a fiend about this. Uh, theme is what your story is about. Uh, I don't think you have to keep hitting the the reader over the head with it. In fact, I think it's rather annoying when you hit the reader over the head with it. Uh, that was one of my biggest complaints about um, the 13th Doctor's run on Doctor Who. There was just these long, preachy speeches that I'm like, you're saying shit I agree with and you're bothering me. Like, you, you, <laughs> don't, you, don't, you don't need to monologue about it. I, 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 yeah. think, I think the theme can be as bold or as subtle as you want. Uh, I I think just you need to know it, just kind of as a navigational North Star of the Mm -hmm. choices that you make, because obviously um, uh, I know all of those weren't meant to be examples about Frankenstein, but if the story is about found family versus Victor's hubris and failings as a human being, then the ending out on the ice sheet is going to go very differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ending the statement you're trying to make. Yeah. Um, I think people very often mistake, again, what happens for the theme. You know, mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll be like, what's your story about? It's about a bank robbery. You know, a bank robbery is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> what's the story about? Is yeah. it the corrupting influence of wealth? Is it. Um, uh, robbing from the rich to give to the poor? Is it the evils of capitalism? Is it how uh, having a, a, a cash-based society suddenly enslaves us all? Uh, is it that crime never pays? Uh, I mean, any of those can be themes about a story where they rob a bank. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my, my 30 second monologue, <laughs> knowing I can monologue more about this. <laughs> <laughs> a topic you're passionate about. Indeed. Um, I am put in mind of a writing book I read once, which I don't remember the author's name, but it's called How to Write a Damn Good Novel. <laughs> um, this is one of those books I picked up when I early wanted to be a writer. And one thing I really remember is the way he talked about theme. And his argument was that a good theme takes the structure of X leads to Y. So something like a cash-based society leads to slavery for us all is a theme that lets you know which way your story is going. So it doesn't have to, in my opinion, right? But if you're having trouble with kind of wrapping your head around 
figuring out the theme of your story, like what's the general concept? Okay. Like if it's about motherhood, there's a lot of mothers in this, the motherhood elements are important to what you're saying in the story. Well, what happens? What does motherhood lead to? Right. What, what are you saying about motherhood? Right. Because motherhood could lead to being, you know, fulfilled and, and future seeking, or motherhood could lead to being exhausted and misanthropic. It's the same. Sometimes, some days it's both, frankly, <laughs> like, but you're saying something with it. And in my experience, the other sort of variable in this is if you're writing a story with like multiple points of view, frequently it's going to be, you know, there's a concept that the story is about, um, but it's also going to sort of be the, that X leads to Y kind of structure. If you're going to pull on that, it's going to be a little bit different for each character because each character is going to kind of come to a different position and ending. Ideally, that helps you kind of flesh out the whole concept. Um, yeah, that's what I got. I don't think I have anything better to add than what the two of you said. <laughs> a, uh, I, I think the, the, what BD said there, especially if it's like, it's not what happens in it, it's what the story is about is the biggest thing there. Um, Cause yeah. <laughs> oh, it was James and Frey wrote mm. how to write a damn good novel. Um, I actually That's did. Thing I remember about that. So, I actually did want to bring up a thing that they had earlier in their email. Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, they were talking about uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this part of it I've outlined some stuff and can summarize what needs to happen but I'm far less confident in terms of fleshing out things uh, or figuring out what details to include like uh, I should probably include some stuff between the first day of school and the end of the first semester uh, because it's probably smart to include the main character bonding with the other people even if uh, making friends with classmates might not necessarily be super important to the main driving force of the drama between her and her uh, protective older brother the the thing like what you have there like you 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 see something that you're like i need something here and i think you're looking at it as just that structural thing but like it's it's more of like what needs to happen for these characters if making friends isn't part of that story you can just say that they made friends you yeah. like if if you see something structured like i need to show them doing this what things do the characters have there that could flow into this scene like what do we need to establish for them for their stories to keep going that can happen in this part um because i i think right now you're just looking at it very structurally like a little too structurally you know what i mean mm -hmm. yep. yeah yeah I, 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 space. Yeah, I mean, um, if your story is not about events that happen during the school year, you could very much say, like, well, you know, the school year passed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. could be a sentence if, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Don't don't force it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, the other thing. Like, if if it if it just doesn't need to happen, doesn't need to happen. I, I would say personally, you know, knowing what little we know about your story based on what you just said, uh, I would start your story in Medius Reyes, which I always say wrong because I'm from Arkansas, <laughs> and just tell that important thing in a flashback. Like if your story is about the summer, but you need to get across the fact that this person saved you from a bully, well, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Flashback to the day they save you from the bully yeah. at a dramatically appropriate moment. And then keep telling them the story about the summertime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was just a little extra thing in their email that I wanted to, to point out. Mm -hmm. Good bit. Good bit. 
Yeah. Right, Thank you for one? writing in. Thank you. This one starts with a lot of silliness. I'm just oh, yeah. <laughs> I included the silliness on this one. So first off, George R.R. R. Martin is dead to me. Just, Secondly, you know what? First of all, I already agree with everything else you're about to say. <laughs> well, that, I reject know. linear time and all the lies of the before times. This because person's a genius. Write... <laughs> did you write in to our show? <laughs> no. If it, okay. go, if it starts going on about how beautiful both of you are, maybe. <laughs> Thirdly, the Jedi can all jump in Bantha Poodoo and suck on their blue milk. <laughs> I like the cut of this person's jib. Okay. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm trying to write a novel about a character with multiple personalities. And when I say multiple personalities, I mean, well, this. Personality A is very quiet and rather sweet. Literally the last person you would expect of expect of being a walking killing machine. Uh, personality B, on the other hand, well, he's basically a level 30 killing machine who would be fighting at best, mostly level 7 enemies with the occasional level 40 or 50 popping in from time to time. What I'm wondering is how I should play this from a perspective POV. I am either I'm thinking either omniscient third or omniscient first, the latter I would prefer to do, but if I'm not mistaken, would that require me to possibly write chapters with different perspectives, a la George R. R. Martin, R.I.P., which could get tricky to write? And cherry on top, would it be better to leave the characters' biometrics the same when they go berserker, or should they wolf out a la Hulk? <laughs> well, let's be honest, wear a minotaur. How would you guys play this? Thank you for your time. Keep doing what you're doing, Andrew. First of all, Andrew, um... Glory to you and your house. <laughs> That's the first thing. Uh, I'm going to let Erin talk about the, the point of view stuff, because I know she's, she's particularly passionate about that. I will only say, um, for the biometrics thing, uh, whatever you think is dope. I mean, yeah. I, I think a, a physical transformation probably is cool if you're, thinking, if you're thinking ahead to a visual adaptation to this, or even merch. Um, but I mean, I just think about something like Berserk, the anime, where Guts always looks the same, but he just gets all vascular when um, mm. when he's doing gut stuff. <laughs> gut uh, stuff, you know. Um, so there's not a right. There, I, I don't. I don't think there is a right answer there. You you've got yeah. excellent examples of both. Um, I think if you're going for bananas, though, I think he should change because changing is innately more bananas. Um, if you want it to be sort of like. Uh, I don't know if you all remember the movie Equilibrium. Christian oh, Bale, I love that movie. Directed by Kurt Wimmer. It is. <laughs> first of all, first of all, it is the best bad movie ever. It is the best bad movie. And, and, and it completely nails that you cannot trust Sean Bean even when Sean Bean is right. Like Sean Bean will betray you even when Sean Bean is right to betray you. But uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, there, there is very much a, a, a sequence of events where somebody is experiencing a whole lot of emotions, a whole lot of emotions, a whole lot of emotions, and then they just go blank. And then when they go blank, that's when they start killing people. So you can get that. Um, but I think the a physical change is more fantastical. Uh, mm -hmm. But I will yeah. turn it over to Aaron. Okay, so for point of view um and i just double checked to make sure that i understood what these were so omniscient third is where um it's sort of told in the same sort of style as a as a 
you know, your standard novel, right? He you use he and she and they. Um, and and in omniscience case, you're you're kind of able to dip into each of these characters' heads at will. Um, omniscient first is the case where you have an established, all-knowing narrator um that is usually like you're going to establish a, a third character here because i'm going to treat both personalities as separate characters for the purposes of this discussion because they're very different um so in that case you are establishing uh, a narrating narrator who knows everything that's going on and i've seen this done in other books um the one I, i'm trying to remember it was a book about the ptolemies that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek historical fiction that was narrated by the god thoth hmm. um which was you know it worked i think um but so that's an option. Um, if you are, so you would not be doing different perspectives in that case. Um, you would have one perspective and it would be this third narrative character. And because you describe it as you have to write different chapters, I'm, I think you are thinking in that case of doing a first person point of view, not omniscient. Um, and you would in that case. And I would really I would pause on the idea of having two first person char- two first person narrators. It is mm-hmm. doable, but it is tricky. Yeah. You really have to have a good grasp of voice and you do have two characters that seem very different, so it's possible. Um you might and for all things I'm kind of like, man, try it. It might be great. Um mm. but I will say it is it is difficult from a writing perspective to to distinguish the two because people's eyes really lock on to the I, me, mys. Um, and so especially for a first person, like I find first person really works best when that first person character has a lot of stuff to sort of observe outside of themselves, right? Not telling, not talking about themselves as much as talking about kind of the whole story because it, it, it disrupts that that issue but okay so you have kind of i think you really have i guess you could do three things here but i don't think omniscient third based on what you're saying is necessarily the best way to go because i don't know if there's other characters in this story that you want to sort of dip into the heads of i don't know that that's going to give you as much bang for your buck um omniscient first could be really interesting it is a little bit challenging because you are going to have to create a third character there who who knows everything and you don't necessarily have to flesh that out be like well who would know what's going on in their heads you just would have to establish a third person i got an idea but i can wait (laughs) oh i love it or you're doing kind of a normal um third person alternating a limited third person alternating between these two points of views and changing the style of writing to establish the voices of them separately um which you I I mean, it's what I do. I don't think that's hard. I don't think you necessarily have to separate it by chapters. That's a nice way to like really make sure people know who the hell's talking, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, And I guess the big question I have is what's the sort of, what is the goal with having those two perspectives? And that can help you kind of decide which of these tools is the most useful, right? Um, What do we learn about perspective B from the moments we spend with perspective a um because that will give you i think a bit a bit of a roadmap toward what you need yeah i would just jump in for a, a good narrator would be something like a combat computer because yeah. i get the, i get the distinct impression this is kind of like a halo type thing you're talking mm. about here 
So just having like an operating system that is like perpetually running, even when the main character is changing, uh, would give you sort of a, a bit of a a bit of a, a spoke for the wheel to turn around that could remain consistent. Yeah. Uh, the the thing on uh, personalities is uh, d- definitely be careful with that because you know that there is a real you know split personality disorder thing. So um, be sure to do your sensitivity reading and stuff on that. Um, I I will say uh, d- th- this I've I've heard of a book series that was similar to this. Uh, it's a YA series. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's Dan Wells from the the Writing Excuses podcast, the John Carver, John Cleaver series. Um, but it, it, it had something similar to that. Um, and uh, he handled, uh, I, I heard them talk about like the the reveal of this situation. And it was interesting how he balanced that. Um, I also am on the side of Hulk out. I mean, come on. God, it's, it's, it's got to be cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. Um, you know, uh, I mean, to Aaron's point, uh, I mean, y- yeah, give any of it a shot, but because um, I think if you if you look at, let me give you two very different examples. I'll give you the example of Venom, who was constantly communicating with the symbiote, and in mm-hmm. most iterations of the character, gets along great with the symbiote. <laughs> Versus the Incredible Hulk, which was two different people, yeah. but could interact in his mind. But David Banner slash Bruce Banner, pending which uh, iteration we're talking about, was always trying to not let the Hulk out. In fact, uh, a, a huge arc in the comic books was Bruce Banner and the Hulk eventually making peace. And that's when you got the smart Hulk and that whole thing happened. So mm-hmm. if you're intending for these two sides to butt heads... I think that's more of an argument against the first person thing, because if they're ever going to interact, it won't make sense. I I will say though, (laughs) there's kind of a part of me that wants to read a story from the second personalities present. Like that one's in first person. And like, at first it sounds like it's the thing you're talking about where it's an omniscient first person, where it's this other entity away. And then you make the reveal that this first person narrator is that personality when the shift happens. It could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen it several times too with a, with a, with books where there's a character like that. There's sort of a narrating character who, if not omniscient, actually is aware of kind of what's going on in the to some degree in the mind of a character. And what happens is it's written in second person, oh. and you were led to believe for most. I can think of two books that have done this. Um, that I've read uh, like you're led for a solid chunk of the book to believe it's written in second person like you get up you brush your teeth right you yeah. worry about going and killing level sevens um, <laughs> but then it's revealed that actually there is this other entity all along um, which can be interesting it's also difficult to I mean I want to be clear like I love playing I don't think I think playing with point of view is a is a fun and relatively simple way to make your text do interesting things. But there are definitely bumps to it because people, every time you move outside of third person past tense um, it, or like first person, um, it gets a little, people get a little like what's happening here and they have to adjust, right? You switch to present, people will settle in relatively quickly, um, but you throw them curveballs and give them like multiple types of 
of um point of view uh it can sometimes it can sometimes throw throw obstacles which isn't to say you shouldn't do it it's just that it it is a trickier process yeah. and that it's you know worth kind of running that by other people see if the words are coming out in a way that makes sense and that they're they're following along um but i am definitely team experiment I would say I'm team team just say fuck and also yeah. team experiment. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> flashback to college, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say this though: when you give people to read it, uh, do not explain to them what your intent is. Yeah, because down the road you won't be there standing over the shoulder of potential readers to publish it or people that buy the book. <laughs> it's got to be able to stand on its own. Yes. Uh, so let people read it. And and roll them afterwards. Them. Exactly. Yeah. Them afterwards. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. Ready for the last one? I yes. think so. Well, we, right. I do have a few more in case we we, we got some extra time. Oh, okay. Well, the last one space. I yes. have. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm actually not 100% sure when we started, but these have been fairly quick, I think. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yo, okay. Tangent Lords. <laughs> I'm about to start outlining. And I wanted to see what you guys think about certain genre combinations. I have an idea where I have the point of view of a kid who's ended up in a dark and twisty realm. I want theirs to be a horror story. Then the other POV slash POVs will be a couple in an adjacent realm. So still fish out of water, but their story will be romance. The idea is that you're getting rising and falling tension at the right times and looking forward to getting back to each POV for different reasons. How do you guys feel about this particular mashup of the romance and horror genre? Do you have any advice for me, please? Thank you, oh gods of the tangent realm, Vaughn. Welsh flag. (laughs) Hey, it's Welsh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, BD is making a face. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let Aaron say something first. Can you go first? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm still team experiment. I'm trying things how you find the, the, the cool new, the hot new nonsense. Um, I do think you have two very different audiences with horror and romance. And so I think you need to think about what those two genres can sort of say to each other and and kind of feed into a united story. Because the idea that you go you you go through one point of view and it makes you, you know, you you then become interested in what's happening in the other point of view, totally great instinct, very much how yeah. the best way to sort of weave together multiple points of view. Um but romance and horror are very different vibes. Um, there, I should say, I should say, there is, there are places where they intersect, right? There is like dark romance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of books in the Gothic dark romance. romance. Yeah, gothic romance can kind of be here, but this is where the romance is. The the horror is bleeding into the romance. Yeah. If I'm reading a chapter and it's about a child being hunted by shadow monsters and being fearful for their life. And then I'm reading a chapter that's basically like a rom-com. I don't see how they're uniting. And I feel like I'm I'm kind of putting myself through two different experiences. And so that's the thing I want to see you answer is what is the holistic experience here? Why are these two stories in the same book? So I, I actually have a pitch for this because while you were reading this, I had a thing pop into my head. This is yours, listener. You take this if you want to. Um, essentially, if the couple's plot was 
them in turmoil where they're being faced with challenges that are stressing their relationship and those stressors, them butting heads because of these causing the horror things to happen in the other realm. So when you're reading the couple, you're like, Oh, Oh no, they're arguing. Oh no. What does that mean for the kid? Like that sort of thing I think could be an interesting kind of story to weave. Yeah, I do think even then, like, okay, and here's the other question. What do you want to do with this? Yeah. Are you just writing something because it's intriguing? If you're just making something because you really want to make it, great. If yes. this is the book that if you're gonna if you're gonna write this book and you are gonna like try to put it up on Kindle and you don't care who reads it, great. If you wanna put it up and you wanna know like who to sell it to, yeah. you're gonna have to pick where it goes. And if this is a book you wanna go trad publish with, um, you're gonna have a figure out like how are you going to kind of sell the whole yeah. concept of the book? Because the query letter where you explain like this thing, but this thing, like if it's what Trevor just said, that feels horror, yeah. right? That feels horror with a romance. And that's that works. Um if you want it to be, these are two separate stories that are side by side. Um, I think then we're getting into a question of like, what are you actually telling a story about? Um, what's the theme here? And which genres does that fit in? I feel like it's not going to fit in romance, pure romance. But fortunately, romance is a thing that tacks on very nicely to many genres. Um, yeah. All right, B-Dave, have you formulated? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again... Team fuck it, try it. <laughs> but I just think those are two very different experiences. You can have excellent coffee. You can have excellent pizza. You can have excellent birthday cake. Blending up coffee, pizza, and birthday cake in a blender and then trying to drink it is not... I don't know that... <laughs> That would be the best experience. And I just was running through my head here where I'm like, take love actually. You know, you have this multi point of view um, kind of ensemble thing. But just one of those points of view is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But only one of them. You know, I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> you know, like I don't. <laughs> does, it... does the Texas Chainsaw Massacre find love does leatherface find love actually did, though? did anybody ever offer leatherface a hug i'm just saying did anybody right? ever anybody ever try i, I, I think that but i think that's that's a good point too because even there where i'm joking about it like maybe you could that pushes it very much that romantic comedy gets pushed hard into comedy because the only way to like make this a whole story is if that's a gag mm -hmm. right yeah. if we're actually scared of leatherface and we're actually supposed to be like getting that that rush of adrenaline from watching it. This isn't a romance anymore because that's not the experience of a romance. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. and so if we make it into a joke, it can stay, and then it's less. It still can be romantic and have comedy, but it sort of slides a little more towards comedy than romance. Yeah, I just I feel like the reader would get whiplash because if I'm on the edge, if they're oh they're about to kiss. Oh shit, he's kicking in the door and he's got an axe. Oh, but wait, we're back to the kiss. So, like I don't I just Are there horror movies that have strong romantic subplots? I I don't watch horror movies and I read horror. So there are actually I will say this. Well, mm, I don't know. That romance was weird. <coughs> the Death of Jane Lawrence, <laughs> the horror novel. 
That has a romantic copy of it, by the way. Sub- subplot, but I'm not going to say I, I don't. <laughs> it's really weird. That's funny. <laughs> Death of Jean Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. But again, the ones I can think of. I'm going to no. Google horror stories with romance in it. I mean, lots of them. Dracula's got a, a romance component. I mean, so does Frankenstein, to bring that back. Um, yeah, it just. Oh, it, well, it, yeah, like like yeah. Gothic or uh, um, uh, Gothic horror has this in it a lot where like romance does like, become a part of the plot. I do feel like the ones I can think of are a lot of like, that's not really a romance. That's ill-advised on every level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will like, give you, like I mean, yeah. I don't know. I guess thinking Wuthering Heights. <laughs> but like, yeah. but like John, Jonathan and Mina, uh, with the exception of the fact that all through Dracula, I was like, would you dudes fucking oh. listen to Mina? Because she knows she's, she's capable and you're all acting like she's useless. But at least no. there's that. And then everybody's swooning over Lucy. Uh Let the Right One In had had uh, uh had a weird romance plot in it. Did you uh, re- did you read that book or did you just watch the movie? Uh I've I've actually not watched either. I've only heard people talk about the movie oh, uh, on the like book's a, a very story good. breakdown. The book yeah. Oh is yeah, very that is good. A, it is a book, isn't it? I forgot yeah. about that. The book is very good. They're making some changes in the movie. Yeah. Yeah um so yeah it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like it 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 can 100 percent be done um but it's that balance and that one sounds like you're walking the 50 50 edge balance of like this is straight horror and this is straight romance um so i think you need to do a little more blending of them yeah, yeah. all right another one yeah yeah, yeah. What's the difference between alpha and beta readers? Are there separate considerations I should keep in mind when selecting and later briefing both of these groups? Alex. I've never heard the phrase alpha readers. Oh, really? To be perfectly honest. No. Oh. I is an al- I've heard so, alpha testers, but I've never heard of an alpha reader. I mean, it's kind of in a similar vein where like alpha readers are, I've finished the book and... I've maybe done a little editing on it, but I'm just sending this over to someone to see if what I'm even going at is working. Oh, that's people. what I do to my beta readers. So, yeah. and and I and I think and I think that's I think they both just kind of gotten folded into beta readers. Uh, but I ha- I do Cri- know I alpha like crit partners, except you can't abbreviate it. It sounds like something else. <laughs> but I think it is kind of covers all those bases because sometimes you just want to talk to someone about or you want to send someone like a scene and be like does this work are you having the right feelings sometimes you're like here's a draft sometimes you're like okay i just need someone to read this one more time and it is good to know what those what the people you are working with have um like the bandwidth to do and the skills to do like i have a friend who is really great for reading scenes but if i throw a whole book at her she that's too much yeah. most of the time but if i feed her that book a scene at a time she'll absolutely do it mm. and she'll have great things to say on she'll have great things to say on a scene by scene level and then she will also have good points on the, the whole novel level but like that that's you know that's just a difference right and then there yeah. are friends i have friends who are really good at like copy editing level stuff who don't really want to do big picture stuff and so I think that's the thing to keep in mind is that there's different stages to sort of the development of the book and what can these different people who you're working with do, but also what are you good at? 
Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm best on a first draft. Mm. I mean, I, I think to everything you just said, I think it's the difference between somebody you let read something in progress or a segment or the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think. Because sometimes um, some people get the wrong idea. If yeah. you're like, here, I just like, I, I did I did that with Aaron and Trevor. I let them read act one of a screenplay. And I was like, just, does, do you give a damn about these people? Yeah. That is my one and only question. <laughs> do you, you made two cool about... dudes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. do, do you care? And, and a, yeah. a school full of ninja princesses, too. About that. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. But, but it I was like, like ninja princesses. with the coolest yeah. way to get to school. <laughs> Thank you. But again, I was like, but just do you care? Then that yeah. was my yeah. only question. You know what yeah. I mean? I was like, that's the only thing I need to know, you know? um some people don't necessarily have the the vision for that or or um will get hung up on minutiae that isn't necessarily what you're after versus when you can yeah. be like here's the whole entire thing you know yep. um and quite frankly not all feedback and opinions are equal because some mm-hmm. people just the fact that you ask them for feedback will mean they feel like they need to be pedantic and tear it down in a way that they never would have otherwise. Yeah. So for real. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's the other part is like choose your choose your crit partners wisely, because some people are not they do not have those skills. And yeah. getting bad feedback is at best just tiresome. Like just the kind of feedback where you're like, none of this is useful. This isn't what I asked for. This isn't what I needed. Um, and at worst, it can be harmful. If you're the kind of person who feels like they have to do all the things people say, you don't want someone who's just talking to make noise. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was just vividly in a memory I had with a friend talking about my first book. And just... it was, it was chapter sure. four. And he was like, you haven't explained your magic system. And I'm like, it's chapter four. Like, what What are you talking? How did Gandalf's staff light up? i feel like that's kind of a good tell too it's like if when people i i try very much when i'm giving feedback to someone to sort of speak from where i'm sitting right if you're like i'm finding the magic system a little confusing yeah i really wish that there was space to explain it more here that is all 100 percent true if it's like you should have explained your magic system by chapter four, well, there's a million places to say, examples of why no, right? And if you're yeah, just yeah. going by, well, but other books did this, that's not helpful. If you're going by, well, here's what I would do, that might not be helpful either. But if you're just saying, like, hey, as a reader, I want a little more of this kind of information, that gives them something to useful. Cause then, you know, that can look like a lot of different things. It can look like you saying, the staff lights up and it's so mystical, everybody's in awe because nobody knows how this works. <laughs> Right. Or it can be like, you know, oh, no, the crystal is down two tenths of a percent of mass and therefore the staff won't light up. We'll have to rub some dirt on it. Um, It can look like lots of things. And and that's yeah. And I don't know. We've done a lot of talk about how to how to critique and how to tell if someone's a good critiquer. Mm -hmm. I would start. I would say when somebody asks me to read something before I open it, if they hand me something physical, literally in front of them before I open it, if not figuratively before, I will say, what exactly do you want from me? Are you asking yeah. just for just how I feel about it? What's my opinion? Are you asking for a technical, uh, technical advice? Like, you know, what, what precisely are you asking me for? You know, mm-hmm. and then I will give you that. Thing. Oh, all right. Ready for the next one? Yep. Last one. 
maybe last month. I don't know. Uh, I think so. We didn't start on the clock, and I don't. I'm just like whatever's happening. I, I, so anyway, th- this, this is gonna be the one. last one. Yeah. Okay. Hello again. I just have to say, I started listening to this podcast for information. I kept coming back for the entertainment, and I can't stop listening because of the inspiration. B. Dave's comments about how the world needs our stories in the episode that came out today was so incredibly awesome. <laughs> Anyways, couple questions. First. Let's just say I was looking for a writing course that could take, let's just say, like five years off my writing journey and took <laughs> perhaps 14 days. Would one expect such a course to include some sort of feedback or should one expect to be content with just information? So there, I would say two things. There is the ability to leave comments on the courses. Um, and quite frankly, the system that notifies me when that happens is... Um, jank at best <laughs> uh, what, what what i will say is my dms are open on twitter um so if there's something you really have a question about just hit me up on twitter and be dave walters and uh i will answer the best that i can okay second i might have some uh i might have to comment extensively on this one hmm. sometimes characters do dumb things or make bad choices like kvoth not I don't know how to say his name. Kvoth not being able to shut up or taking an interest in a milquetoast scribe in a world where Tanook exists. I find that sometimes I can understand and forgive the transgression and other times I can't or simply become annoyed by the character. Like, how can you be the dumbest person ever? But making mistakes is such a human thing to do. What are some ways you use to have a character make mistakes while not coming across as a dense, annoying halfwit? Thanks again. Best, Zach. Uh, there's also a PS on here. I'll go ahead and read PS. Trevor has a job as a writer, right? How long are we going to let him downplay his well-earned writerness at that whole two authors and a writer bit rather than just saying three writers? I don't know, man. That's my boy. (laughs) Trevor Belmont. Can't have him talking down about himself. We've we've given him extensive hard times about this. He's the one that gives the intro. It's just got a nice flow to it. I will agree with that. Yeah. But I appreciate you, Zach. Thank you. You do get paid to write, man. I'm just saying. I do get paid to write. Thanks for all this now. So making dumb decisions and bad choices. Yup. And then we can talk about the Tanook thing if we want. Well, I kind of want. Anyway. (laughs) um, So making a character that makes a bad choice. So I think that this works best when the character is, they're doing their best and it's clear. Right, that that you have a character who is making the best choice possible with the with the information that they have in front of them and the abilities they have in front of them. Um, and if they can, if they have an opportunity later to make a better choice, I think that also clears some things up. Um, but also, I think there's another piece in here where uh, when I was an editor. I, I ran into authors frequently who were really bulk at letting their character mess up. Mm. But that's part of the story, right? Um, the way that we tell stories frequently in this time and place is that, you know, you come up against an obstacle, we can't overcome the obstacle, or we try to overcome the obstacle incorrectly, and we have to fix something in order to actually achieve it next. Um, it's not every story, but that is frequently what, you know, your North American audience is expecting. And so there is an expectation your character is going to screw up. Now, some of your readership is going to be unforgiving and they're going to like to point out flaws. And I would say to that readership, be kinder, give the world a little grace, but he fucks up. 
So don't look for the mistakes. But also at the same time, like, yeah, don't make a character make a mistake just because it makes the plot happen. That's mm -hmm. that you then you're writing a sitcom main character. Yeah. Yeah. This is not this is not the thing. So um those were that would be my my main points about about making the bad choices. Like the bad choices make the story happen frequently. Um, but they work, I think, best when it is like Okay, this is to the best of your abilities, to the best of your knowledge. And sometimes your abilities just, they, they're not there. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't, I won't spoil this because it's four hours old. But uh, as of the time of this recording, the fourth episode of Ahsoka aired tonight. And something that is just so fucking stupid happened that is borderline ruining this whole plot. thing for me. Oh, now I gotta. Go you know watch the, the the season's half over. There may be some, you know, ha ha, right? I mean, there, there's still time, but it it is very much dumb for the plot currently. Uh, mm -hmm. That I'm like, there, nothing nothing has built that up. Um, I think I would give you two things. I think because this is something that that I have been on both sides of this lamentation. And I think 100% of the time that I've heard that people make mistakes is a stupid fucking justification because it's fiction. <laughs> so, um, there's plenty of opportunities for you to try your hardest and have something go wrong. There's, some, there's plenty of opportunities when you're at a crossroads to go right or go left and you don't know what's to the right. You don't know what's to the left. Mm -hmm. uh, but when the right is on fire... Yeah. And the left is a breakfast buffet. <laughs> and you go to the right because the name of the story is Firewalker. <laughs> then that's stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, but, <laughs> <laughs> just, this situation is incredible. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I read a lot of bad things in my time. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that is the most beautiful example of stupid for the plot that I've ever heard, and I love it so much. Thank you. Thank Sometimes you. we say things, and I'm like, I wish we had a merch shop, and that's a lot of words to have on a t-shirt, but I'd still wear it. Put it on the back. Put it on the back like a there Star Wars crawl. There you yeah. go. There we go. It could say stupid um, for the plot on the top, on the front, <laughs> and then it could have, if you're going to fork in the road and there's a breakfast for <laughs> Yeah, it's just exactly. a fork at the and bottom and then like in a Y day. shape. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. fire. There's yeah. Right. a breakfast buffet. Yeah. Uh, I think um, worry, worrying about is, are people going to like this character is a little bit of a sucker bet because some are going to like your character and some are going to hate your character. And that's actually yeah. all right. Um, it is better if you, have a, if you have a polarizing character, to tell you the truth, than just sort of a, oh, okay, character because okay is forgettable. Um if you're making strong choices, some people will love those choices. Some people will hate those choices. Um, but uh, I, I think the question you got to ask yourself is, would a reasonable, rationable, rational human being do this? And it is true. People under stress do do dumb things. They do freak out and run into enemy fire. They do swerve and crash into phone poles. But if that happens in your narrative... Uh, it is almost certainly going to ring hollow. One, one of the most egregious examples of this that I hated so much was in the Terminator series. Aaron, I know oh, you didn't watch, wow. but, but, but no. did you, Trevor, did you ever watch the Terminator series I on Fox? I didn't watch a lot of it. Lena Headley? 
Yeah. I Lena know Headley and Summer Glau. Lena Headley and Summer Glau. And so Summer Glau is a Terminator sent back from the future to avoid a catastrophe that Sarah Connor knows is going to happen. In every single episode, they'd want to do something really fucking stupid. And Cameron, the Terminator, would say, hey, that's really fucking stupid. And the answer would always be, we're humans and we have emotions and we don't always make logical sense. And then they do the terrible thing and bring Skynet that much closer. Oh, my it, God. Just like, you know. Oh, my God. Come on, Stupid man. for the plot. Stupid right? for the plot. Yeah. I, I like. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I like people making bad decisions for character growth. Sure. But but when it's like it is a plot heavy, we took a hard left because this fuck made a decision. Like every time that yeah. happens in a story, I just like I always like, man, they suck. I hate yep. this person. <laughs> like it instantly makes me not like that character. Just because I'm like, you took the story that I was enjoying and just threw it to the left because you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. And and also I notice a disproportionate amount of the time that uh a lot of it's the female characters that do it too. Oh. Female characters that do the dumb thing because the dumb thing needs to happen. Uh disproportionately high amount of the time gross yeah and if you just honestly so often if you just slowed down you'd find a place where they can do the dumb thing for smart reasons um i I will i will say you know my uh my main character in electropunk um ruthie uh i very much have her run face first into everything because that's who she is yeah Mm mm-hmm and yeah. so, yeah, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that is 100% of the time. It's and like, I, and I, but I, I do think yeah. that that's like, like, that's a buildup one, because I'm sure you have her do that repeatedly before it becomes a narrative changing uh, moment that she does it. Like yeah. you, you said, it, like, this is that character. This is what they yeah. do. If you yeah. expected anything else to happen here, you weren't paying attention. Well, there um, is, uh Yeah. A little more to it, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the only time really that like it's besides like the, the plot heavy things, really the only times that like characters making stupid decisions bothers me is when people write Lovecraftian horror. And I'm like, no, this is supposed to be like the terrifying thing is that the smartest person in the room doesn't understand what this is and can't outsmart it because it's so fucking unknowable. That's the only time where I'm like, no, but they're, why'd you make them stupid? <laughs> yeah. Make them be smart. And then it didn't work. Yeah. That's, that's, the, the, that's the whole terrifying yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> make them be stupid. I mean, make them have a, be smart, but it didn't work. A, a difference of opinions. Just, just a hundred things. Yeah. A hundred yeah. things, you know? Yeah. Hey, ne- you should have aimed for the head. Uh. You know, that is one of the best <laughs> moments ever. You yeah, know what I mean? It really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember sitting in the theater and just going, like, did he fucking take off his hand? <laughs> yeah. I was like, and, what? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the answer, the other question, the, the, the example, I think this person is someone who has expressed that doesn't like that in Empire of Exiles, Eni has a crush on Quill because he, Eni and Tanook are so close. And Zach, I'm going to tell you, Tanook is Ace Arrow. He is not interested in getting with Eni. He's oh. like her brother. Oh. They are best friends. 
but he does not want to do that with her and she respects that so uh she's she she's a I forget how she is. She's like 19 or something. Mm. She's 19. She's incredibly sheltered. She sees a cute boy and she, <laughs> who is not someone she lives with all the yeah. time, every day. And um, having been uh, a girl who went off to college once, sometimes your brain just shorts out and yeah, <laughs> it's a little dumb, but that's what being 19 is. So hope that helps. More Tanook and Relics of Ruin. Yeah. I love him so too. So yeah. you're, that, that part at least is correct. Tanook is amazing. <laughs> okay uh, all right well i think that is i think that's an episode uh friends where can people find you with awesome things you're working on uh you can find me on blue sky and twitter at aaron m evans uh you can join me for concentration check every monday at 1 30 p.m pacific uh on twitch.tv slash dungeon scrollers come and get some writing done with me um and then you can join me on wednesdays at 6 30 p.m pacific or a little earlier for a hangout uh, on the same channel for fearful symmetry a game a dnd game i am doing with a bunch of writers including trevor guess what i forgot Ooh. that part you're on the writing channel so there we go um, yeah they've started a fight with some children who turn out not to be children so yeah we're gonna do some weird stuff. we'll do some weird stuff this week it is I, B. Dave Walters. I say words about things. You can find me all over the interwebs, wherever fine streaming content can be located. Uh, again, do you have a writing course, 14-day writer, that will save you five years off of your journey to becoming a professional writer. Again, with a 14-day player, 14-day DM, and the now pre-launched 14-day TTRPG creator. You can find all four of those at www.undisputedacademy.com. And I'm B. Dave Walters on all the socials. You people know how lucky you are that B. Davis is pouring out his wisdom on all of these all of these different channels. Seriously. We didn't have that. We didn't have that when I was coming up. (laughs) I I I had to hope that someone brought a video camera to Brandon Sanderson's college course. Like I just had to hope. (laughs) You you know, honestly, hand to God, that is why I do it. To to make it easier, easier for the next person. You know? uh, That's that's why we do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on all of the dystopian socials at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. You can also find me on Fearful Symmetry with Aaron, or playing Florin Morin, who's a hundred percent a warlock. Um, and I probably something else that my brain is too fried to remember. So just follow me on socials. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by leaving a review on your podcast service of choice and tell your friends about the show. Uh, if you'd like to write in with your own questions, like our amazing, awesome listeners who did so today did, you can send those into writing about dragons and shit at gmail.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date on the show, you can follow us on Blue Sky and the Twitter at About Dragons. But until next week, go write about some dragons and shit. <laughs> <laughs>